um, yeah, I know most of you, uh, and I got two sons that are in this youth ministry. Andrew is somewhere, same as somewhere. There's Sam. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful to Aaron to, to let me be a part of this, this weekend. Um, and the, just a, it's an incredibly important discussion we're having around technology. What Scripture says about it, how, how we should think about it as followers of Christ, that we should think about it at all, and then how we should think about it as followers of Christ and, and be discerning about how we use the technology that's present in our lives. Aaron got you guys kicked off last night um, talking about the God of technology and how God is, is provident over, uh, since the dawn of time, over the, the development of all kinds of technology, all the technology that, that is present in our lives. Um, but he also, he also started the conversation about how important wisdom is to have uh, in in how we think about this this technology, because he also told you that all technology, and we're going to talk more about this today. All technology is preaching its own message, and it's and it's sort of got an idea behind it that's sort of um, preaching a false gospel. That it might it might be preaching this gospel that the, what you need to do is be more productive, or what you need is entertainment. Or whatever it is, that's going to make you happy. That's what's going to make you fulfilled. And so we have to, we have to be discerning about all kinds of technology that comes into our lives. That's he started talking about that last night. We're going to keep talking about it today. To begin thinking, though, hope you have a Bible uh, with you, a print Bible. Ironically, if you don't, find it on your phone. If you have a phone, if you don't, just listen real carefully. Look on the screen or something. Um, find Ephesians five. Um, there's something that Paul says in Ephesians 5. It's one of my favorite passages in Ephesians. Um, I think we need to hear it as we keep thinking about what Aaron shared last night, what we're going to think about today. We'll read it in just a minute. It's just a few verses in Ephesians 5. Um, it's going to guide how we think about our theme of technology this morning, which is common grace, global distortion, and the need for wisdom. And if you don't have any idea what some of that means, I think you will in a, in, a, in a few minutes, but we need to start with the Scriptures and let the Scriptures, let God guide uh, what we're going to say and, and to think about. So if you found Ephesians 5 in your Bible, um, look at what Paul says in verses 15 through 17. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Every phrase of that is important. And that every phrase of that is going to be foundational to what we talk about both this morning and, and this evening. So we need to think carefully about what Paul says in those verses. So, so think about what he's saying in that passage right there. Uh, th he say basically there are two ways to live in the world. Uh, it's not complicated. There's two ways. There's wise and there's unwise. Ways to live in the world. And wise is being contrasted with foolish. And in the Bible, foolish is more than just dumb. Um, but wise and unwise. Wise versus foolish. And think about just looking at the, 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 the phrases of that, that passage. Um, look at how wisdom is described in those verses. They, they're sort of ingredients. He gives you ingredients for what wisdom looks like. 
Um, and the first ingredient that I see in, in that for wisdom is understanding yourself. Understanding yourself. And, he's, and, he, and where do you see that in that passage? You see it when he says, look carefully how you walk. Look carefully how you walk. So in order to do that, you, you have to be aware of yourself. You have to understand your own tendencies. You have to understand your own temptations. You have to have a self-awareness or a self-understanding in order to look carefully how you walk. But then that's one thing, understanding yourself. That's, that's a necessary ingredient to walking in wisdom. But another one is understanding the world around you. Where do you see that? When he says there, the days are evil. The days are evil. That is Paul looking at the world around him, and that's his conclusion about it. To, 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 uh, conclude, to conclude the days are evil, you have to be aware of the world around you. It, it requires you not just to have... Wisdom would require that when you look around at the world, you don't just have uh, an entirely pessimistic view of the world. I know Paul says the world is evil right there. But if we think whole Scripture, that's not, that's, not only, that's not the only thing you could say about the world. So to look wisely at the world is not just to have an entirely pessimistic view of the world, nor an entirely optimistic view of the world, but what we're aiming at in wisdom is a realistic view of the world, right? Um, and so that's, that's the second one. Understanding First one is understanding yourself, understanding the world. And the third ingredient for wisdom there in what Paul says is understanding the Scriptures, right? Because... Where do you see that there? Because he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. And uh, how do you do that? Sometimes I think when we think about the will of God, in our, and you know, I want to know what God's will is, we think about it as if it's some mysterious, um, mystical thing that we have to tap into. That I don't know how we're going to do that, but that's what we feel like we have to do. Um, but w- when, when it comes down to our daily walk, God's will is found in God's Word. Like, it's written down for us. It may not be as specific as you would like to know, but it is there, right? All the commands and, and, and the wisdom of God found in the Scriptures, are that's His revealed will to us. So when Paul says, understand what the will of the Lord is, he's giving you a command expecting that you will be able to figure out how to do that, which is, here's His Word, understand this. And when you understand yourself, when you understand the world around you, and you, you understand those two things by understanding what the Scripture says about both, the only thing left to walk in wisdom then is to pay attention to the decisions you make based on that, right? And make your decisions uh, based on all of that. And that's what he's saying there when he says, making the best use of the time. That requires consciously thinking about the decisions you make and why you made them, knowing whether or not it was your best use of time. That's basically what we're going to think about for this day. That's what wisdom is. J.I. Packer, um, in his book, Knowing God, which I, I encourage every one of you at some point to read his book, Knowing God. You might find it a bit of a challenge at this point. If you wait a few years, you might still find it a bit of a challenge. But I say don't read it fast. Read it very slowly. Take all the time you need, but read through knowing God. In that book, um, he uses the analogy of driving to describe what wisdom is. And he contrasts wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge, he says, using the, the driving analogy, he says knowledge is like you're on the road and you see 
that there is a curve in the road ahead. You see it. You're aware that there's a curve in the road ahead. That's what knowledge is. Wisdom, on the other hand, is knowing what to do when you get there and then doing it, right? Uh, so I just not only do I see that there's a road, but I'm a curve in the road, but I know that when I get there, I need to turn the wheel, and when I get there, I actually do turn the wheel. That's what wisdom is, right? Um, is knowing you, you, you're in a situation, you see the situation, you know the right thing to do, and then you do it. That's wisdom. So that's how I want to structure our thoughts this morning on technology, to be wise in how we think about the world around us, to be wise in how we think about ourselves as, as we relate to technology, to be wise and not foolish. So um, I hope we come away with a little bit of that this morning as well as tonight. So let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, uh, that, that passage in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, uh, in, in every other scripture that we're going to consider this morning, Lord, it is your holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see um, the truth that is, that is revealed to us in those passages, but also uh, minds to understand how, that, how, how we make application of that to our use of technology. Would you give us minds to understand that very clearly? Would you give us hearts to uh, see it as important and care and, 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 and want to follow you in wisdom in how we, how we uh, interact with technology in our lives? And would you give us wills to, to obey whatever it is you lead us to do? Lord, give me the help that I need to teach, and would you please give us all ears to hear? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing I want to think about is we, as we try to establish a framework of wisdom by which to think about technology is understanding the world according to Scripture. Understanding the world according to Scripture. So when we start to think about how to be wise about technology, we need to have a realistic understanding of the world around us from which technology comes. All right, And we need to understand that according to what God has taught us in the Scriptures. And, 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 uh, and when I say we need to have a, a, a realistic view of the world, I, I'm saying I think the Bible gives us a realistic view of the world, which means it's neither entirely pessimistic nor entirely optimistic. As if pessimistic, as if there's nothing, I don't think the Bible says that there's nothing good about the world, and therefore there's nothing good about the world, there's nothing therefore good about any technology, therefore we ought not make use of any technology. We're not Amish, Okay but it's also not entirely uh, uh, optimistic either, as if, as if I don't need to be discerning about the things that come into the world. Every new device that comes out, every new app, every new social media platform, every new video game, man, it looks cool, I should do it. It looks fun, I should do it. Like, without any kind of discernment at all, and just assume it's good. We need to have somewhere in the middle. right? It's not all good, it's not all bad. We need to have a realistic view and have discernment. Because really, to build on what, what Aaron said last night, God created the world so that technology that arises within it could be, for the most part, a blessing to the whole world. 
And that's what we mean when we say that technology is part of God's common grace. So the theme was common grace, global distortion, and the need for wisdom. What is common grace? It's, it is grace that God gives. It's common because God gives it to everybody in the world. No matter who they are. Like, everybody enjoys it. Uh, a, a, a good verse a good verse that might um, indicate the, what common grace is, Matthew 5.45 says that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He's not going to just give the rain to the just and withhold it from the unjust. No, rain is a common grace gift that He gives to everybody in the world, right? And so common grace is blessings that God gives to all people. Right? Simply out of, out of His goodness and kindness to all people. Right? God created the world in such a way that, that advancements in, in technology that are created from what He has made could benefit and be a blessing to all people. Right? Tony Reinke has written a lot about technology from a Christian perspective. And here's one thing he said uh, in, in one of his recent books. He says, Human innovators, and we're going to think carefully about what he says here. Human innovators are really just discoverers, separators, mergers, replicators, copyists, and refiners. More generally, technology is like playing in a sandbox that somebody else made. Our Bibles tell us who built this sandbox. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created that from which any form of technology is, there, is thereafter created in the world. So in a very real sense, no matter what new technology is developed or comes along in our world, in a very real sense, there will still be nothing new under the sun. Right? That's what Tony Reinke means when he says human innovators are just discoverers. Just discoverers. And Scripture is clear that everything that is invented in the world is invented using the materials of God's creation with the knowledge and the skill that God gave a particular person to do that with. And, and, and these are technological advances. These, te these technological advances are, are blessings that God bestows on all people through all kinds of people, right? I don't, I don't know if you remember... I hope you come on Sunday nights. I don't know if you, if you remember uh, from Pastor Brian's sermons through Genesis uh, on Sunday nights, but, but when we were at the end of Genesis chapter 4, uh, he, he, he showed how the descendants of Cain in particular, Cain, not Abel, Cain, the bad guy, right? His descendants were blessed with all kinds of technological skill. Genesis 4, 20-22 says that one of his descendants was skilled in agriculture, uh, another one in music and arts, and then another one in metalworking, iron and things like that. And, to, and it's, it's, it's crazy to think about the world to this day, 2023, it, it, it still benefits in more ways than we can imagine, benefits from what the descendants of Cain discovered and invented. Cain. I mean, that's crazy to think about. And in other places, it's clear that, that, that the Bible is clear that, that the invention of different technological uh, tools are the result of God's gifting someone to do it. In 2 Chronicles 26, it talks about King Uzziah. 
And it says over and over again that God made King Uzziah prosper. God made him prosper. And it specifically says in verse 15, 2 Chronicles 26, 15, it says of Uzziah, in Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. It sounds awesome. So these were military inventions, but it's how did that happen? It says later in the chapter, or it says later in that chapter, for his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. God was with him. God uh, enabled him to invent these things. Why? Yeah, God made them prosper. And to this day, God is, as Aaron said last night, God is providentially uh, guiding the development of technology in our world. Uh, many of the technologies that we know and enjoy so that they could be a tremendous benefit to, to all people. There are all sorts of examples, some of which throughout the history of the world have become so commonplace and ordinary to us now that we don't even think about them as technological advances anymore. But life would be a whole lot different if they weren't around, right? Think, for example, about air conditioning. Think about electricity and all the things that are possible in our life because of electricity. Think about I know Aaron's mentioned farming. I mean, I'd be willing to bet that, that, that uh, you hardly ever think about farming uh, as an advancement in technology. But it is the ability to produce enormous amounts of food and feed billions of people in the world in season and out of season. Right? Think about transportation. It took the Mayflower two and a half months to get from England to America. Two and a half months. In just an eight-day span this past week, in just an eight-day span, I traveled to Kenya and back. On the way out by way of England, on the way back by way of France. And I spent five days in Kenya, right? In just eight days, that happened. That's crazy, the, the advancement that has happened. A few years ago, I pastored... Uh, I was the pastor of a lady who lived to be 103 years old. I think Sam might have been too young to know Miss Rose. Did you know Miss Rose? You knew Miss Rose? And Andrew did too. Miss um, Rose lived to be 103. And she could remember when she was a little girl, she can remember her father coming home from work in a horse and buggy. Now, Sam knew that lady. He has living memory of a lady whose father came home from work in a horse and buggy. And he lives in a world today with cars that can drive themselves. That's crazy. Now, I know that when, when we're talking about technology, you're not thinking about, about farming and air conditioning and, and the Mayflower but the things that we're saying are true about those are true about every kind of technology that comes into the world, including and especially the phones that we're carrying around in our pockets, or for some of you, the phone that you desperately want to have carrying around in your pocket, that your parents, your wise, wise parents have said, not yet. These are amazing blessings to the world. Like, like in, in so many ways. Like, how, how incredibly easier it is to communicate in some respect with people and to, to pretty much 
do so instantly. Even when you're on the other side of the world, I was, I was, I was, I was halfway around the world in Kenya, and I'm talking to my wife like I'm in the next room. Through that, right? To to know to to find out uh, what's going on in the world, to to find out almost anything you need to find out in a moment, you can find it out. There are so many apps on our phones uh, that that can that can make your work easier, to make it more productive. Moments easier to capture and remember, or to find safety when you're in trouble, and it just goes on and on and on. And there's no real way to quantify all of the good that comes about on uh, through our phones or through the internet. And 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 that is understanding that is just simply following a trajectory that we have seen since Genesis, since Genesis to now. Descendants of Cain blessing the world. Through the advancement of technology, these are common grace gifts common to all people for our good and for our happiness. But if we're going to be realistic about the world, we need to realize that there's also another trajectory that's been running at the same time. The same trajectory of God's common grace, blessings on the whole world, there's a parallel trajectory that's also been running since the days of Genesis, right? And that's because of sin in the world. Um, those who, because of sin in the world, those who develop technology uh, that should be entirely used for the good of all people, for the glory of God, instead often develop technologies to be used for evil with sinful intentions. Think, for example, where we see that early in the book of Genesis. And you don't have to turn there, but you might, you might just jot them down if you're taking notes. You could turn there if you wanted to. Um, but I think it'll be on the screen. But uh, in the days of Noah, when he was commanded to build the ark, this is what God told Noah in the building of the ark, Genesis 6.14. He says, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch or tar. Right? So that was God Himself Inventing technology for Noah, tar, this will help your boat float, right? Um, and that would be for his good, for his family's good, for the good of all the animals that are on the boat with him. Hey, just an idea, put some tar on that thing. You'll be fine. That's an advancement in technology and boat technology. But just a few chapters later in Genesis 11, we see that same technology being used at the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11.3, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And that might not be immediately apparent to you, but that word for bitumen is the same for pitch or tar in the earlier passage. So God granted a technology intending it for good so that people are blessed and He is praised, but instead sinful people take that same technology and use it for sinful purposes and self-satisfaction and self-glory. That's the key to thinking wisely about technology in our world. Um, As we think about thinking wisely about the world, right? That the purposes and the intentions for why things are invented and developed in our world, to do that, you have to think about it in light of everything that the Bible says about the world. You can't just look up technology in the Bible and read all the verses about technology. No, 
You understand what does God say about the world, and, 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 and you have to recognize that He says good things about this world, right? He created it and said it was very good, right? And, 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 but you have to say that along with the good things that, that come out of this world and the, the blessing that technology uh, bestows on all people, along with that, we also have to remember what Scripture teaches about the doctrine of sin to help us come... Um, not to an overly pessimistic or an optimistic view of technology, but a realistic one uh, to help us use it widely. And, and what realistic means in real life, what realistic means in real life uh, is, is that, sure, some, some technologies are simply good. Band-Aids was a technology in wound care, Right? I can't think of a, a sinister purpose for Band-Aids. Like, what evil can you do with Band-Aids, right? But likewise, some technologies that have come about in the world are just purely evil. Like, any, any, any instrument that was invented for, for torture, right? That's just, it's just purely evil. What good can you do with it, Right? But most technologies are neither purely good nor purely evil, right? And a but 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 they have elements of both because one, it's a common grace gift of God, but two, it exists in a fallen world. And a realistic view of the world, a realistic view of technology in it, is having the ability, having the wisdom, to to recognize both the good and the evil, and then use it accordingly. Right? And the most prominent example or the most prevalent example that, that we interact with on a regular basis uh, that falls into that category is the Internet uh, and the, the technology behind our phones. I've already mentioned the unbelievably good things that, that come through the Internet and, our, and, 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 and phones. Uh, and and there's, there's no question um, that, that the capabilities of the internet, the capabilities of our phone are just incredible benefits to us in so many ways. Um, you know, I can, I can just get in my car and go to somewhere I've never been before, just type it in on my phone, and I get there safe and sound. Tells me how to get there, every little turn, right? So many ways. But it would be an unrealistically optimistic view of the world to stop there. A realistic view of the world, according to Scripture, teaches us to expect, expect, that the developers and the implementers of these same technologies may not always have entirely good motives in the way they develop them or in the way that uh, they make them available for people to use. As helpful as the Internet can be, it can also be a tool that can destroy your life. Right? Because there are website developers that use that technology to expose you to things that maybe you weren't even looking for and expose you to things that are wicked and can ensnare you and can ultimately destroy much of your life. That can tempt you in ways that you didn't expect. Uh, and for that reason, because you weren't expecting it, you fall more easily for the temptation. And then because you liked it, you go to it the next time all the more willingly. 
And you go to it all the more willingly for two reasons. One is, one is when you're understanding the world around you, one is to, is to understand that the, the, the media developers, the technology developers in our world have developed their products uh, and they have developed them with the capability of, for example, on the internet and our phones, the capability of tracking the websites you've looked at uh, or on social media, not just the things that you clicked on, even the things that you slow down a little bit when you're scrolling. When you pause and, and just look at something before you keep scrolling, it knows that you slowed down and looked at that just a couple of seconds longer. They can track that you've done that, and then what happens as a result of that? The, they, they start putting more of that in your feed. They start putting more of that in the ads that you're looking at on the Internet or that's on whatever it is that you're looking at. And, and, and you start seeing that thing more than you see anything else, Right? And it could be anything. You could be searching the Atlanta Braves. Chop on. You could be searching the Atlanta Braves, and it learns that you love the Atlanta Braves, and all of a sudden you see Atlanta Braves stuff everywhere. Right? Atlanta Braves ads or Atlanta Braves videos that pop up, promoted video or something like that. But it could be sexual temptation. Not the Braves. Sexual temptation. Um that maybe started with an ad that you didn't expect, and then you searched it, and then all of a sudden it's everywhere. In ads, on your feed, it's everywhere. And that's another reason why you would fall to it for it more easily the next time, because it's easier to find. It's everywhere. The developers of these technologies know you better than you often know yourself, because you're too distracted to think about yourself or at least we're willing to admit about ourselves. So they tap into what you have demonstrated to them that you want and what you like. And the short-term pleasure of that will then yield, it will make you absolutely blind to the consequences that it will later bring on you. And depending on what that is, those consequences could be sorrow and shame because of sexual sin. But either it, it, it could be uh, simply... Uh, the consequences of constant distraction. Just constant distraction. You may not be looking at anything bad, but you're just constantly looking at it. And it distracts your constant distraction, and it deadens you. It just deadens you spiritually. And that's why Scripture says to walk in wisdom doesn't just under, mean you need to understand the world around you, but also understanding yourself. And, 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 and we need to think about that for just a minute understanding yourself according to Scripture. It's not enough to know that the intentions behind the, the, those who develop the technology, uh, well, I know what those intentions are, but you also have to know yourself, your own tendencies, your own weaknesses, your own, th what, what your, your own temptations, what you're, on, what you're prone to do. Again, Paul says in Ephesians 5, be careful how you walk, which means you have to know yourself to know what would be a dangerous place for you to walk, so that you, to know what would be a dangerous place for you to walk means that you have to know what careful even looks like in the, in, in the first place. And I've just mentioned two particular dangers the danger of pornography and sexual temptation, and the danger of constant distraction. Um, it will bring, the danger of pornography uh, is devastating. It's devastating. Um, it will bring more sorrow and more 
shame than you ever imagined. And uh, not only now, but even like years down the road, years down the road uh, in maybe hard conversations that you're going to have to have with somebody that you really love. Um, The Apostle Paul often in his letters gives a whole list of uh, sins, and sexual sin is often, almost always, the first one on the list. The first one on the list. Because in so many ways, it's, it's most dangerous. But I don't want, this, I don't want this, this morning to be only about pornography and sexual sin. I want to even get outside that. Because and, and the, the other thing I mentioned is that one that is almost as dangerous and way more subtle is the distraction that our phones can be to us. The distraction. I'm going to say more about this tonight, but I'm going to begin the discussion now. Distraction is not a neutral issue. Distraction is not a neutral issue. Um, distraction is more than just a hindrance when you're trying to study for a test or, or, or whatever. It's a spiritual struggle. Distraction is, is a spiritual struggle. The reality is that being constantly addicted to distraction is changing us in more than one way. It's changing us mentally, but it's also changing us spiritually. It's changing us mentally that you, you can't focus on anything, and that's what we're going to fo- say more about tonight, but it's also changing us spiritually. Cal Newport wrote a book called Deep Work, and in that book he talks about a study that was done at Stanford University. They did a study on what they call uh, constant attention switching attention switching. Um, and he says constant, what, it, what is attention s- switching? Um, it might be when you're looking at a website and the ads on, the, on, on either side of the screen are just constantly changing. And it's just, man, it's grabbing your attention. Or it may be every time you scroll, new post, new post, new post, new post, it's constant attention, attention switching from one thing to the next. And he says that constant attention switching is, is actually changing our brains. It's changing our brains. It's literally altering our ability to focus. And he's not the only one who's noticed this. Tony Reinke had 12, wrote a book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. You should read it. He says that. James K.A. Smith wrote a whole book that basically went further than that. And he says basically... Everything we do, every habit that we have are not just things we do, they're doing things to us. But Cal Newport said, once your brain has become accustomed to on-demand distraction, it's hard to shake the addiction even when you want to concentrate. And he wrote that book, Deep Work, to help uh, talk about that, that problem. But how much more, how much more, and I'll say more about this tonight, how much more important is it not to be distracted from the voice of God and His Word? And the state of our souls uh, and our spiritual health before Him. How much more is the reality of distraction a hindrance to our walk with Christ? Just one example. Psalm 27.4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. One thing I ask, one thing I seek, to gaze. That's not a glance. 
It's a gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That seems to require a singleness of mind. A singleness of uninterrupted focus. Right? To think undistracted. But when we have trained ourselves to resist that kind of thinking, to resist that kind of concentrated, extended focus, it leads to further spiritual problems. Here's the, here's the, here's the, the spiritual progression. We are distracted by our idols. Then distraction itself becomes an idol. And then we become like our idols. We are distracted by our idols. Then distraction itself becomes an idol. And then we become like our idol. Right? What does that mean? It's true for anything, but especially true as it, as it pertains to social media. Uh, the, the approval of other people can be an idol in your life, and so you're constantly checking to see likes on your posts. FOMO can be an idol, fear of missing out, and so you're constantly checking to see what's going on, who's where, who's doing what. Sports can be an idol, and so we're constantly checking and reading about that. We can idolize practically anything, but then the more we allow ourselves to... to, to uh, become distracted by it, constantly checking, constantly checking, constantly checking, then that distraction itself becomes an idol. You can't sit there quietly without, without every, every two seconds having the, the urge to pick up your phone and be distracted by whatever it is you want to be distracted by. But then Scripture says we become like our idols. If you have your Bible still open, find Psalm 115. We're, we're coming close to the end. Psalm 115, 115, and when you get there, I want us to read verses 1 through 8. Psalm's in the middle of your Bible, 115 verses 1 through 8, the psalmist says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory. For the sake of Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Then he starts talking about idols. Their idols are silver and gold. They are the work of human hands. This phone is a work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They, have, they do not make a sound in their throat. And then he says this, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Those who make them and those who trust in them become like them. What does it mean they become like them? We'll look back at the description, verses 5, 6, and 7. Mouths but can't speak, eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear, noses but don't smell, hands that don't feel, feet but don't walk. They're spiritually dead. They're spiritually dead. And our idols deaden us spiritually. Not that, that if you're a, a follower of Christ, you're going to lose your salvation, but they can callous your heart toward God. They can weaken your love for Christ if you're already a believer. So what do we do? We'll have more to say about this tonight. Can't say everything in the morning, but um, to walk in wisdom, 
I hope I've teed it up for you. We have to have a realistic, a scripturally realistic view of the world around us, according to Scripture. Um, uh, that includes technology and those who develop technology, and of ourselves who use it. Right, and that would include understanding that we will sometimes have to use technology different than the rest of the world. We'll say more about that tonight. Or sometimes we're always going to have to ask questions about the technology that we do or don't use in our life and and be discerning on that. More on that tonight. But the last thing I'm going to mention is remembering that that most all of technology, including the Internet and social media, um, have the common grace of God in them. And therefore, uh, are not evils always to be avoided at all costs, but they also give us opportunities to pursue the knowledge and love of God even through them. And that's not just being wise in how much we use these technologies, i.e. screen time, but how we use them when we do. What websites we look at, who we follow on social media, the podcasts we listen to, um, these are all sorts of ways that technologies can help you love Christ more and follow Him faithfully. Hope you can talk more about these things in your small groups later on. Um, Yeah, so let's pray and we're, we're done.